Hello, hello. This is a brand new experience for me. I am recording today's episode of Making Rainbow Waves at home by myself with a new microphone that I was able to buy today. This is the first time I've done an episode of the podcast by myself, so geez, it's a bit unusual. But I guess I do have a lot of history of doing episodes of the radio show by myself too, so it's going to be a little bit strange. I am definitely out of the hang of having a conversation basically with myself with nobody here and just pretending like somebody is answering and listening. (laughs) But today's topic is a romantic awareness week. I wasn't initially going to do an episode about this, but then something came up in my life and I decided that I really did want to do one. So we're going to talk about that We're going to talk about what being aromantic is. We're going to talk a little bit about books that have aromantic characters and other media that do because there isn't a lot and I figure it's important to mention them. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the history of Aromantic Awareness Week and where the aromantic flag came from. So it's not going to be a super long episode. It's not going to be, you know, because it's just me here. But we do have a song to play for you, which is really cool from D Mac, who I just happened to start talking through in the Tazzy Aspects chat. How cool is that, that there is a group where people on the asexual and aromantic spectrum can chat with people who are like them? I'm going to link it in the info box for this episode. Uh, The group I am talking about is for Tasmanian people only, but I'm sure your state has one too if you look it up. So why don't we just get straight into it, shall we? Our Romantic Awareness Week usually happens on the week following Valentine's Day, which I think is part of the joke of the whole thing. But this year, it's February 21st to 27th, so they're changing it up a little bit. What is being aromantic? A lot of people consider aromantic people to be mentally ill. I certainly felt that way for a long time, and I, even though I sort of identify as aromantic now, I do still feel that way. It's kind of hard to explain, but I guess because there are so many mental health issues that I have, I believe that they all intersect to create my aromantic experience, though I suppose that isn't the case for everybody. Um, It certainly is for me. Aromantic is a type of romantic attraction, or lack thereof, of course, that's more what it is, and it is very, very misunderstood and doesn't really get spoken about a lot. Just like asexuality, I guess, though it's kind of pushed to the wayside even more so than asexuality. People who are aromantic are not miserable. I met somebody during the Taz Pride Parade, a young boy. He probably was about 17 or 18, and he had traveled all the way from the Northeast coast to be a part of the Pride Parade. And over his shoulder, He had one ace flag and one arrow flag, and he was just so happy in himself and so happy to be able to show off his flags and talk with us about his identity. He is one of the interviews that will be in next week's episode of the podcast from the Pride Parade. But he was just, you know, speaking to him actually gave me the confidence to post on Facebook about my experiences with being aromantic, and I guess I came out this week as an arrow person, something that I used to kind of laugh at when I actually sat down and analysed myself. I realised that 
that was actually me the whole time. And, you know, as it happens, this seems to be the case with a lot of the identities that I now align myself with. (laughs) Uh, You know, when I was growing up, I kind of thought that being trans was very weird. And I certainly still think that. But that doesn't mean that I'm not that either. (laughs) You know, it's like all of these things that I used to think were so weird and that I used to kind of mock, I am now becoming those things. And I'm wondering if it's a blessing or a curse. I don't really know. I'm going to quickly read to you the Aromanticism 101 section from arrowspecweek.org. It's a very, very plain English explanation. Aromanticism is a type of romantic orientation. That is, an identity that can describe a person's relationship to romance or patterns of romantic attraction or interest. Aromantic people's experience of romance, or lack thereof, are often disconnected from normative societal expectations in some way. This can be due to experiencing little to no romantic attraction, due to feeling repulsed by romance, or due to being uninterested entirely in romantic relationships. Many aromantic people mention having trouble relating to the experience of falling in love or of having romantic crushes on others. Many may pursue non-traditional forms of intimate relationships or choose not to have any formal relationships at all. There is significant diversity in whether aromantic people may or may not enjoy specific activities that are often coded as romantic, such as holding hands and kissing. Whether they may be uncomfortable with romance entirely, be single or have a partner or even be married, those are individual characteristics that vary widely from one aromantic person to another. In addition, aromanticism also includes a whole range of related identities, often referred to as the aromantic spectrum, which include people who may not identify as strictly aromantic, but who find that the label is still a close fit and that they have a lot in common with the community. Some groups within the aromantic spectrum may also adopt new terms like grey romantic, demi-romantic, and lith-romantic. So there you go. I hope that, you know, explained it to you a little bit better than me trying to fumble over the words and get it out to you. They also have an explanation here of the aromantic pride flag, which interestingly enough was actually designed by an Australian man who goes by the Tumblr name Cameron Whimsy. Cameron uh, developed a flag in February of 2014, which included the colors green, white, yellow, gray, and black. And then in November of 2014, due to community feedback, he took out the yellow and included the white, which is now the center of the flag. I'll explain to you now what the colors mean. Dark green is for aromantic people. Light green is for the aromantic spectrum. White is for platonic aesthetic attractions and platonic queer relationships. Grey is for grey, aromantic and demi-romantic people and black is for sexuality. So they didn't want to leave sexuality out of it which I think is really cool. I like that they included it. I think I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience but first I want to play this song for you. Like I said before, the person who made it is also on the ACE spectrum. They have been releasing music here in Tasmania for a couple of years now. This song is called Running Out of Reasons. And the first time I heard it was only the other day, but I found it really, really catchy. And with their permission, D Mac has said that I can use it today. So I hope that you enjoy it.
Again, that was D-Mac with their song, Running Out of Reasons. Something that I have known for a very, very long time is that I don't really love people how I'm supposed to. I don't really love any members of my family, which sounds very strange to a lot of people, but I've also had a pretty negative family experience. I don't really love any of my friends, and I don't think that I ever have, not in the way that people describe it. And I haven't loved any of my partners correctly. And it's not something that I keep a secret either. When entering into romantic relationships, I've always been very clear with people that my affection is different to what they may expect. I often tell my friends that this weird expectation that I must platonically love them makes me really uncomfortable. And in the past, I have been forced repeatedly to say I love you to people when I haven't wanted to say it because I knew that it was a lie. I knew that I didn't mean it. And I was also consciously aware that that was strange, which made it harder. But I think most people have been really understanding. I was raised by my grandparents and I even told my nan something along these lines in my very early teens. I said, when you say I love you, I feel weird and I can't say it back. So she never pressured me to and other family members and friends definitely have. She'd say it and my stock response was always thanks or I appreciate that or something to, you know, that effect. Um, even up to the point of her death, I did not say it. So that should say something weird about me. I have spent my entire life knowing that some part of me was not there and I think I felt what I considered to be actual romantic love for the first time. I met my current partner but even that faded after a while. I care about him in a lot of different ways though and I think that's the key. I do care about people in different ways. I give them food, I show them a meme, I listen to them when they're upset. If I didn't like them I just wouldn't spend time with them. The deep connection of love that is spoken about in songs and media and by people I know it just it's not there how I feel about people isn't normal and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it is I don't think that this is something to be celebrated something is really wrong with me <laughs> but after soul searching for some time I find that aromantic is the best term to describe what I am capable of feeling which is limited you probably ask yourself, isn't that a serious mental health issue? And I mean, yeah, it is. It definitely can be. And as I'm sitting here and thinking about this, I can't imagine anyone who identifies as a romantic who doesn't have some kind of trauma or mental health problem, because so do I. And that just checks out. I think of all my various identities, this is the one I have been consciously aware of for the longest, probably since I was 10, because I had this crushing pressure to love my parents when all they really did was hurt me growing up. But then I realized that the people who did love me, my grandparents, I didn't really love them either. And I knew that was a problem. I mean, I knew that that was very strange. So that's my experience. I hope that listening to that, maybe it can inspire somebody else. Though inspire is the wrong word, I think. What I mean to say is I hope that somebody can hear that someday and think, wait, that's me as well, and maybe I'm not so weird. It definitely sounds like there are people out there just like me. I've joined a couple of Facebook groups for aromantic discussion over the past week or two, 
And yeah, it's definitely nice to talk to people who, when I describe exactly what I just described to you, they respond saying that is exactly how they feel too. And I think that's what we all want as queer people, is we want that person to say, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly how you feel. I mean, how nice is it to have somebody say that? I know that every time I've brought up sexuality and gender throughout my life, over the years, having that one person that can say, I feel the same way has always been very important to me. So while I have you here, I would actually like to expand on the term that I used earlier, which was queer platonic relationship. This is a very ace arrow sort of thing. And a lot of people have no idea what it is or what it means. It's essentially a very strong kind of friendship what is considered quote-unquote normal for a romantic relationship. It goes beyond socially acceptable platonic friendships, but it is not romantic in nature and doesn't fit the traditional idea of romance. Because in our modern society, hard lines are drawn between appropriate behaviour for romances compared to friendships. For example, a cultural norm is that romantic partners are more physically affectionate and more emotionally close than your friends are. Um, as well as being the person who is most likely to be with you during major life activities. So when the lines are blurred, the relationship can be called queer platonic. These are typically characterized by having a level of emotional closeness and a dedication comparable or equal to that found in romantic relationships, though the relationship isn't romantic at all. For some, a queer platonic relationship could look from the outside like a very, very close friendship. For others, it may appear to be more closely resembling a romantic relationship. Queer platonic relationships may involve some sort of physical affection, which is normally considered exclusive to romantic relationships, like hand-holding and kissing, cuddling, sex. Some queer platonic couples will live together and get platonically married. Now, by that, I mean that they will marry for reasons like buying a house together, sharing finances together. Sometimes they will even adopt kids together. But it's not from a romantic perspective, it's more from a practical one. It's practical to get legally married if you want to adopt a child. It's practical to get legally married if you want to buy a house together and share that money. Queer platonic relationships are very, very common among asexual and aromantic spectrum people. But obviously you don't have to be one of those things to be in a queer platonic relationship. You also don't have to be queer to be in a queer platonic relationship, as funny as that sounds. Pursuing a queer platonic relationship is not necessarily mutually exclusive with pursuing romantic relationships. Queer platonic relationships are more often than not polyamorous, as in involving more than two people. So essentially, queer platonic relationships are for people who are just different. Different is the word that I would use to describe this. You don't fit society's expectation of a relationship. You might hold hands every so often. You might have sex every so often. Maybe you hate that. Maybe your queer platonic relationship is literally, like I said before, a case of convenience. It just makes common sense for your reasons. It is the middle ground between being friends and being in a romantic partnership. It is characterized by a strong bond an emotional commitment. Tumblr user Spectra Fidelis described queer platonic relationships. If you'd picture romance with taper candles over dinner and a sexual relationship as a queen bed, I would try picturing the queer platonic 
as string lights over tea and a bunk bed with tin can and wire phones between them. Now, as promised, I'm going to recommend some books. Now, I actually haven't read any of these, but I did a little bit of research and they come back with mostly positive reviews for, you know, good representation, the story actually going somewhere, queer romances that aren't shitty, you know, side romances, obviously, because this is about aromantic characters, <laughs> you know, other representation, POC representation, disabled representation, all that kind of stuff. So they're quite highly rated. The first one is City of Strife by Claudie Arsenault. I think that's how it's said. I'm not 100% sure. In the city of spires, bickering merchant families still vie for power through eccentric shows of wealth. An idealistic noble triggers a war against the cruel Myrian Empire and an assassin tries to escape hanging for the one crime he didn't commit, upturning the lives of many in a clash of magic and betrayals. Now in the notes for this book, there are five characters who are on the aromantic or asexual spectrum. So that is very cool. There's also a second one in the series called City of Betrayal. The second one is Margins and Murmurations by Otter Lief. An aromantic trans woman with the ability to move through time returns to a highly militarized city with her lifelong friend, Pinaire, to help queer activists, sex workers, and other organizers of the underclass rebellion. The next one is We Go Forward by Alison Evans who has a main character who is an asexual and aromantic person. The description for this one is just two sad queer girls road trip around Europe while developing a deep and supportive queer platonic relationship. I forgot to mention as well, in City of Strife, one of the characters is actually completely sex repulsed. So that's something that you don't always see in asexual media. As strange as it is, I find that in a lot of the things that I've read about asexual media, they portray the asexuals as characters who can be won over eventually. So they identify usually as demisexual, but it always comes to the point where they do end up having a sexual relationship. So it's like almost the subconscious thought like, asexuals can be won over, asexuals can be won over. So it's nice to see that side of representation as well. We have The Trouble by Daria Defoe, who stars a gay aromantic man. Danny Kim is a Korean American lead singer of The Trouble, a local indie band, and horribly bad at maths. Despite a rocky start at a concert, Danny hits it off with his accounting TA Ji Yoon and must learn to balance school, the band, and his newfound relationship. Now this one I'm actually hoping to read soon myself. It's called Moonshine by Jasmine Gower. Imagine 1920s Chicago, but besides a volcano and with an underground network of magic users creating bootlegged mana, and you have Soot City, the setting of Moonshine. One of the primary, secondary, that sounds funny, primary secondary characters is a boneheaded bisexual aromantic. So kind of just sounds like me, I guess. Moonshine also manages to center non-romantic bonds throughout the story, while still representing queer lovers in a positive light, which is a difficult but much appreciated balance. I mean, how cool does that sound? I can't wait to read it. I'm actually waiting to get my hands on it. The last book that I'd like to mention is A Promise Broken, which is by Lynn O'Connor. Sorry, I'm really bad at pronouncing names. 
A Promise Broken is a deeply human tale of grief, and it is deep and soft and far-reaching in a way that reminds me of the ocean. It centers a sweet and anxious girl, Erin, and her aromantic asexual uncle, Aaron. Are these names really pronounced the same? Again, I'm terrible with this. Hardworking and bookish, Aaron isn't the best parent around, but he is caring and determined to protect his niece. While A Promise Broken is fantasy, and it has very little of the fast-paced adventures and violence often associated with the genre, instead relying on gorgeous world-building and great characters to carry its story along. I'm going to put links and info on the website. For each book, I'll link it to the Goodreads page for it, and I'll also include the characters' names and where they sit on the arrow or ace or both spectrum so that you can kind of flip through it and have a look and see if there's somebody that you can relate to in some of these books. Okay, when talking about being aromantic, I think it would be out of place to not mention the, the different types of love. There are eight according to the Greeks, and these different types of love are often mentioned in terms of aromantic people because aromantic people can experience other kinds of love. After all, aromantic only has the word romantic in it. There's also familial love. There's selfless love, which would be compassion and kindness towards others. There's self-love. There's, you know, the kind of love that you have for your pets or the kind of love that you have for your favorite food. There's also obsessive love, which is not necessarily healthy, but it definitely is a kind of love. There's also pragma, which is mature love, the effort that is put into a long-term reciprocated relationship. And we can't forget playful love, which is exciting and fun. Now, there are definitely people that don't experience any of these or only a few of them. I am one of those people. I don't experience romantic, familial or friendship love, but I definitely love my pets and I definitely love to eat. It's definitely more than just liking, you know. I adore my pets in a way that I actually find quite difficult to describe and sometimes <laughs> uh, makes me stress out a lot. And thinking back on all of these years of knowing that I was different, to be able to love my pets really did kind of give me hope that I would one day be able to love people. I I don't know, I guess I used my pets as like a proto kind of love. Like if I could love them, then surely I could love a person someday. But only in the past week or two have I realized that I don't really need to. It's not something I have to worry about. And I don't know, it's a freeing feeling, I guess. I feel better. I feel better knowing that. So, hey, I have to say as well, um, <laughs> just because I have heard people say it in the past, being aromantic or asexual does not make you an incel. Like, I'm sure there are some people that are, but the vast majority of incels, incel actually standing for involuntary celibacy. So they are mostly sexual people, but involuntarily, you know, because, oh, these bitches won't sleep with me. People who are asexual are not incels, and people who are aromantic are not incels either. I think I'm going to finish off this week's podcast episode by just doing a little shout out to a few events that I know are coming up soon. The first one is Silver Words Spoken Word Open Mic Night. Silver Words is an event that has been happening here in Hobart for quite some time now. 
they do poetry nights and spoken word nights and they finally come back after COVID restrictions. Their event is happening on Wednesday the 17th of February from 6pm until 9pm. They want people to know that they have moved to the upstairs area of the Hope and Anchor Tavern in the Hobart CBD. Doors open at 6pm. If you arrive earlier than 6, please remain downstairs and do not come up. The suggested theme for this month is daydreaming, but you can use your five minutes of mic time per person to talk about anything you like. You don't just have to do the suggested theme. Newbies are always welcome and please use trigger warnings. Coming up as well this Saturday, Flamingo's Ultimate Night of Love Valentine's Day Party. Now that's an unusual thing to talk about in an episode about being a romantic. Haha. <laughs> so door sales only. They're not doing tickets online, so you're going to have to line up. And if you don't get in, goodness gracious, you'll just have to go somewhere else, I guess. Featuring drag shows by Anathema, Pussy Poppins, and Venus Thytrap. Awesome. From 10 p.m. until late. Flamingos is open now every Friday and Saturday at High Altar, which is the second floor of 112 Murray Street in Hobart. So it's where the altar uh, building is. Flamingos have their pop-up sessions there now um, on Friday and Saturday nights while they are looking for another place to open up. As we all know, they sadly lost their venue last year. Well, that's it from me today. I hope I wasn't too awkward. I'm probably going to listen back to this while I'm editing it and cringe, but next week will be a lot more interesting once Arden has finished editing together all of our interviews. They are so exciting. I can't wait for you to hear them. We spoke to some really unique and fascinating people, um, literally from the ages of like six years old through to the ages of about 50. So a really wide variety of voices and people. Yeah, it's going to be great. So please tune in next week. It's probably going to be our best episode yet.